Hey, what's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret. Today we have an exciting episode with Phil Capron. Now, Phil has been a poker player, a punk rock drummer, a swick sailor, and also now he's gotten out, done a lot of fix and flip properties, and he owns over 200 units in apartment complexes. Check it out to see how he did it. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's Dave with Military Millionaire Podcast. I'm here with Phil Capron, and uh, Phil and I got uh, we got connected on Instagram. But he is a uh, he was a Swick, which I'm sure he can talk a little bit about because that's cool. But uh, I don't want to try to mess up the description. And he got out of the military, and now he has done some uh, some house hacking, some flipping, and some big apartment complex deals. And so we wanted to kind of touch on that and really just hear a little bit about his story. So Phil. Uh, Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, what's up, Dave? Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, everyone gets into the military a little bit of a different way. Um, I got into the military because I lost a bet. (laughs) I like it. uh, You know, I got out of high school, went into college and was playing uh, water polo and swimming. Uh, at a small D3 school and doing really well and um, then decided to transfer to someplace that was a little warmer and more fun. And uh, so, um, you know, at that school, I went from like great GPA to sport athlete to surfing all the time and touring around the country with a punk rock band playing drums. And uh, the only way I was able to su- to support that lifestyle in the mid 2000s was um there was a boom on like espn and different channels with poker it was like all the rage in the in the mid 2000s so you know i got into playing poker and actually became pretty good at it and um you know before long i was funding my band's tours by us routing stops around casinos so i could stop (laughs) and play for a little while to get us enough gas money or um you know maybe if we're lucky even enough enough money for a hotel so after a couple of years of that, my parents were like, hey, um, you know, what are we doing here? Are we going back to school and finishing up? Because you, you are a senior technically. Um, <laughs> or are you getting some kind of a job? What's going on? I said, well, you know, if I don't make 100000 this year, keep 100000 from playing poker, I'm going to join the military. And they, everyone just got a great laugh out of that. So at the end of 2007, I'd made 85. I came back with the papers. You know, the first or second week of January, mom's crying. It was, uh, it was kind of a mess. I was like, wait a second, what did I do? Um, you know, but uh, if it, I knew that if I was going to be in the military, um, going from sort of one extreme to the other, the, the life of, of leisure, you know, living in casinos, traveling around with my band, I wanted to go to the complete opposite extreme and do something pretty cool. So um, you know, I went out for SWIC, which is Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewman in the Navy. And um, our job basically is to take the SEALs and other special ops guys um, to and from their missions and conduct uh, maritime special operations uh, on our own without any of those other guys. So, um, you know, it was a 
pretty rad training. I didn't get to do anything operationally, but you know, they taught me how to skydive. We got to shoot a lot of big guns. Um, you know, we went fast and you know, there were some, there were some good times had good friendships and, um, important life lessons. That's for sure. That's so when I found out I was getting out of the Navy in 2012, um, you know, I didn't really know, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to retreat home because I didn't have much to show for myself as far as monetarily. I was 28 years old and I'd always thought I'd be a millionaire by 30. So I was going to have to figure out something like pretty quickly. Um, while in the military, I, I took a, a real estate agent course on one training trip when we were kind of like out in the middle of nowhere and you know, for like a month and, you know, nothing to do. I'd, uh, I'd bought a home using the VA loan and had three of my buddies move in that paid my whole mortgage, you know, while I was in at my duty station. And I said, you know what, I think there's something to this real estate thing. Um, so I went ahead and took the course, but didn't really do anything with it for a couple of years. And then when it came time to separate, I was like, you know what, why don't I go ahead and activate this license and see what happens in very short order, became one of the, the top agents in my office. Um, you know, had it like a buyer's agent, an admin was trying to, to do the typical, you know, build up a team and, and create passivity that way. And, um, to be real honest, it wasn't, wasn't really good at it. Um, as far as the, the, uh, the business structure is like a real estate empire. Um, <clears throat> around the same time, uh, I started flipping houses and between 2014 and 18 flipped about 40 houses and, um, you know, had a lot of them that we made a ton of money on and, you know, a handful of them that I learned some really important and expensive lessons. <laughs> so, you know, I sound like a broken record here. You hear it everywhere, but flipping is just a job. If you're getting started and you want to, you know, build a little sweat equity, do some stuff with your hands, you know, I think flipping's great. You could comfortably flip two, three, four houses a year as a single operator, be real hands-on and make some good money so long as you're judicious with what you're selecting to flip. However, when you start to scale and you're talking about doing multiple projects at one time, you need to be very careful um, as things can go off the rails with various contractors, funds going here, there, everywhere between Home Depot and Lowe's. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it ended up being problems that I, I don't want if I have the choice. And I think we all do. So, um, you know, I, uh, I learned a lot from flipping and very grateful for each and every one of them. But uh, where I've really found a home is in the multifamily space. And a lot of people are looking at that saying, oh, I could never buy, you know, an apartment building. That's it's too big. It's too much. It's too risky. And, um, you know, I'm here to tell you it's, it's kind of the opposite. Um, you know, everyone and their brother is getting into flipping and wholesaling these days. I think that space is very, very crowded. Um, and I guess to a smaller extent, people are getting into multifamily as well, but there's, um, there's barriers to entry in multifamily. There's like a moat surrounding the castle, but if you can overcome a, a handful of obstacles and cross that moat, what's on the other side is just immensely valuable. So, um, last year I bought my first building. There's a 14 plex and, um, had some pre pretty creative terms. I bought that on my own. And then very quickly, the next project we did was 109 units. And the moat that I'm referring to here is, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that can take down a deal for like a million dollars. 
um, you know, you're coming up with a couple hundred thousand either from you or you and your buddies and having a little bit of experience. And there's a lot of banks that's, that are going to work with you, you know, kind of in that price point. But if you're getting up in the land of two, three, five million dollars, you need somebody who's a legitimate badass financially to, <laughs> to back that. You know, the, the bank's going to require that your, you or your team's net worth is at least equal to the loan amount. So that's, that's a moat. You're going to have to find someone, if that's not you, to be that financial backing. And then um, more than that, it's sort of like the economies of scale. Like when you're going to flip a property, you're moving all your resources to this one property, then you got another one across town. So you got to race your guys over to that one. And then if you're doing five or six at a time, it becomes a mess between multiple project managers, multiple crews, multiple guys, multiple stores. If you're doing an apartment building, you know, so say my 14 unit, and we've got three or four units that need to be renovated, guess what? They're all in the same spot. So my painter can go from one to the next and the next and the next the electrician, the flooring guys, so on and so forth. So what people perceive as a weakness is actually a strength. Um, so I've been rambling for a little bit, so I'm going to shut up, Dave, and let you let you take the reins and just kind of see where you want to go with this. Um, <laughs> so, sounds good. I'm over here. I'm, I'm like writing all kinds of notes down, and I, I'm having fun with like I, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, how do I title like poker to punk rock punk rocker to you know that's that's fun man i i love playing hold'em and i always thought i was decent at it but i never like got out there and played so that's pretty cool uh it was it was a it was a wild lifestyle sorry quick tangent so my you know my best friend from high school uh we we uh you know we're captains of the two sports together and he took a different path he went to the naval academy um was you know commissioned and then went to buds and became a seal officer so we hadn't seen each other in like a couple of years and you know we got together at home over one thanksgiving he's like so what do you do man I'm like well you know i live in casinos wake up around noon go to the spa they're like mr c what's it going to be today 90 minutes with shannon i was like yeah that sounds good and also get me one of those juices that i like and the slippers and a rope thanks <laughs> and then you know roll out of there around three or four, go play cards till midnight, grab a grab dinner at Bobby Flay's with a couple buddies, and then, you know, maybe go to the club, maybe play a little bit more, whatever. You know, it's kind of all free form. It's like, what do you do? He's like, well, I jump out of planes, blow things up, you know. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Could I do that? And he's like, you need to get in the gym, man. I was like, oh, true. But then he's like, yeah, yeah, you, you could. But... <laughs> You need to work on it a little bit first. So yeah, it was uh, it was kind of like the tale of two, tale of two brothers there that meeting, and uh, I decided to get my ass in gear and get back to it. That's fun. Yeah, that I wrote down. Uh, need financial badass on your team because I think that's fun. Um, anyway, so took some notes. Uh, so I'd like to just ask real quickly: um, Was there anything that you with the when you used the VA loan? Was there anything like that you? took away from using that that you think would be beneficial? Because I know a lot of people don't seem to understand how the VA loan works, which I mean, we don't need to get into details, but it's just funny to me that nobody knows how to use it, but it's, it's insane. And more than the people not knowing how to use it, people are misusing it. I heard one of your guests, um, I think his name was Alex, um, was talking about the, the downsides of the VA loan. 
And I thought that was really interesting because as a, you know, a former real estate agent, you know, my bread and butter was all of my buddies, you know, from the old command, from, you know, the other East coast, uh, NSW commands. Those were my clients primarily. And, um, you know, I worked really, really hard to get them into good deals and to explain to them the pros and the cons of the VA loan. And I hadn't spent that much time thinking about the cons. The way I look at it is you can get an asset that's, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Mine I bought for 250 for zero money. And, you know, let's say that average appreciation's 3% a year, but because the market's being funky, let's just call it two, right? So, oh geez, now I have to do math. That was so stupid of me. <laughs> no, 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 that's easy. It's $5,000 a year at 250, at 2%, yep. right? If I hold it for 10 years, then that's 50 grand. Allegedly, I'll be able to, to get out of that property. And, uh, you know, I house hacked it. So my buddies were paying my entire mortgage the time that I was there and the time that I was in the Navy. So I did the right thing and I invested that money. No, I yep. didn't. I went to the bar. Of course. I went to the bar. Let's be serious. Um, so, so if I could, could tell something to the younger guys, <laughs> even if you do do the right thing and you get something within your means and you have your buddies paying it off and you bought it right, you actually have to save the money. <laughs> like it's not just something else in your piggy bank to spend guys like stop, think about what this represents. So my particular property, I've gained about 80,000 in equity since 2010. So a little bit above that 2% metric that I quoted, um, you know, but Alex brought up some, some decent points. There are people getting into VA loans. They're paying top dollar for the properties because they have to be in good shape. They're using their bottom dollar as an earnest money deposit. Guys, if you don't have at least a little bit of money, I'd say six months of your mortgage payments in the bank, you've got no business buying a house and it makes it... I mean, it's so, so stressful back when I was an agent to look at these people like they're struggling to come up with the $500 to put down as their deposit that they're going to get back and then some, and they're buying a freaking house. That's insane. That's how we got into the problem at, in 2007 by a bunch of crap like that. Yeah. You have to, you have to be a good steward of what you have. And I think the VA loan is a fantastic vehicle. I disagreed um, with a little bit of the doom and gloom, but it has to be used right. So, you know, if I was back at E4, E5 and buying my first one, I wouldn't buy towards the top of what I could afford. I would buy towards the bottom of what barely qualifies in your neighborhood. Something that's within a couple miles of base, something that has a, pre a you know, preferable floor plan. So maybe like a three bedroom, two and a half bath townhouse. So you've got you and the master, and then you got two buddies on different deployment schedules sharing the guest rooms, right? And ideally only one of them is around at any given time. So you do well while you're there, but then when you leave, when I would buy it, when I'd help you buy it, I would want to make sure there was at least a couple hundred dollars, ideally like $300 spread between the mortgage payment and the rent payment. Because if there's not, when you do ultimately transfer, that's when you have problems. And I think that's what that gentleman was talking to. And I see that happen all too often. Even smart guys like NSW guys, you know, getting out and, and having to go into foreclosure and bankruptcy over a, a house that they got a, a raw deal on when they went in. And that uh, really grinds my gears. So if we can avoid a couple of people from doing that, then, you know, 
our time here will have been well spent. Yeah, Alex likes to uh, – he's a polarizing guy. He likes to play the what – I, what I always joke with him is the Donald Trump method of uh, publicity, which is just get everybody as fired up as humanly possible about things. Um, and so he writes, you know, articles where it's like, I'm going to just say this and see what happens. But, yeah, he, I mean, and he hits on a valid point, and I tell people that all the time, is service members – there are a lot of people who do well, but there's a like an entire Facebook group with like 12,000 people in it called Reluctant Landlords. And yes, as, yeah, as I'm a member of that through, one. Yeah, yeah, and as you scroll yeah. through, you see time and time and time again the mantra of buy a house at every duty station, which could be a great strategy. But the problem is that people buy a house, they don't buy an investment. And I tell people all the time, it's like, don't buy a primary residence if you're telling yourself it's going to be an investment. If you want it to be your forever home, great. But if it's not going to be your forever home, and the market is not like at 2009 levels where you know it's not going any lower, then just stay away from it. And unless you're buying off the numbers and you know it's going to cash flow. So like I'm getting ready to move to Pendleton and I've already started looking around in different areas trying to figure out like, okay, where do I find a duplex? Where do I find a triplex? How do I make, you know, and, and I'll be honest, the prices are still higher than I would like them to be. But there's some stuff out there where I could whether I have to use the VA or I can actually use it, I might have to use a 203 and wrap a rehab into it. But I, there's some stuff out yeah. there where I can buy affordably enough that even my BAH will pay the whole mortgage. And then if I rent the other side out, I'm making a couple thousand dollars. But we'll see, because if the numbers don't work and I can't find a property that makes sense, I'll live on base. No big deal. Um, that's what I did out here in Hawaii. There was no way to make the buy and hold game work no. cash flow. So and it wasn't no, not, not, not in the short term. That's an appreciation play. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's super interesting. Sorry. My door keeps my office keeps opening. Ugh. No worries. Um, Casper the friendly ghost. I guess so. Um, yeah, you have to understand where you are in your market. And, you know, I put a lot of blame on, on bad real estate agents that are, that are just being bad, bad fiduciaries to their clients. And, uh, you know, so I love that there's starting to be some content out there from different outlets like yours, um, you know, bigger pockets, obviously all the big ones that, you know, are telling people most people, let's face it. Most people aren't, they're not going to educate themselves. It's, it, it boggles my mind because it's the biggest financial decision that they're going to make. And, you know, they don't want to read one book or browse a couple of blogs or, you know, run analysis or, or do anything. They're just like, Oh, okay. The realtor and the loan officer said it's good. I'm sure this is the best loan. I'm sure this is the best I can deal in my house. I mean, that to me is madness. Um, yeah. but maybe we're just, you and I are wired differently, but, um, I'd like to help as many people as I can, you know, come over to our side and, you know, be setting themselves and their families up for success rather than, you know, tragedy. Yeah, I like to learn the hard way, but I like to do my research before I learn the hard way. So when I learn, so for example, I'm learning a very difficult lesson right now that, um, that I, eventually I'll get to go and tell all the fun details about because it's just crazy. But uh, at least I like I know that I did all my due diligence and looking back on it, I'm like, okay, I still wouldn't change anything. I did everything right. It's just, you know, you can't, I'm learning all the fun things about people and how people affect business sometimes in ways that you can't see and then you're like holy smokes how did this happen and how do people like this exist uh but you know it is what it is but it's an education but i didn't if i it's nice to know looking back that i did my homework and i you know everything was 
looked good because if I went back now and it was like, oh man, I missed all these details. What was I thinking? Well, then you can only point the finger at yourself. So what? Right. Is, you know, I don't know. Yeah, doing your homework. But, one of my one of my big 2018 lessons was when someone shows you who they are, believe them. I like that quote. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. So uh, I'd be interested to hear your uh, your big deal. So mm, if you, okay. I mean, that's you. So I haven't had anyone on here who's done. Uh, I mean, not yet had anyone as a guest who's done uh, syndications or or deals of that level where you have to bring other people in. Um, and I think that's fun. Uh, I I personally like if I can get out of this other deal that's going crazy, it's going right into another apartment because my tenplex is my favorite asset right now and I can only see upside as I grow although I know there's there's obviously downsides but um, I'd love to hear about that deal because that's that's killer yeah and uh, you know I I kind of went on like a little bit of a, a weird weird tangent with it to start so I'm glad we're doubling doubling back big big is not bad uh, so long as you've checked all the boxes required as far as your people and your resources to go big. Um, you know, to be completely honest, I had no business doing this deal. I was calling the broker for practice, talking to brokers. I wish I could say that I just, you know, called and was like, yeah, let's do this. I'm freaking awesome. <laughs> let's make it happen. That was not what happened at all. I was calling to, to practice talking to brokers about, you know, different questions using, you know, the terminology and just kind of trying to develop a baseline relationship. But, uh, you know, I called on this property and, you know, we started to dive into it a little bit and I got to the pricing question and, you know, the broker's like, yeah, we've got, we've got some room. We've had a, a contract or two fall through. So, you know, would you like to come out for a tour? And I, I kind of liked it at the list price. So I was like, yeah. Um, I'll come out for a tour. She said, okay, great. Just bring, um, you know, proof of funds for a million dollars and, um, you know, we'll set this, set the tour up. I'm like, oh, great. I don't, I don't have a million dollars. Um, despite the title of this podcast, I'm not quite there yet. We're, 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 we're at the gates, but we're not quite there. It's a journey. Um, it's a journey, right? We were talking about this before we started, uh, rolling, but, um, yeah, so through my flipping company, we actually technically did have a million dollars. So I got the bank to write a letter saying that the company had a million dollars. And so I showed up to you know, this tour with a property manager and with my class A contractor. And we toured the units and I liked the deal even more. So I dug into the broker a little bit more about pricing and un uncovered you know, some, some elements about the deal that made it, made it unique. Um, I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of people, um, that can do a deal for like a, a million dollars or $2 million. They're, they're everywhere, right? Cause it's really not that, that big. And there's a ton of people that can do a deal for five to 10 million or, or more, but those aren't people. Those are big entities usually. I believe there's a soft spot in between like 2 million and 5 million. It's a little bit too big for the regular folks and it's a little bit too small or too dirty, too messy, too complicated for the big funds that are just gobbling up things for yield. 
And this property had a lot of deferred maintenance, um, some management inefficiencies. It had been owned by the same folks since like the 70s. And you know what? They're just tired. They'd made a lot of money over the years and they just wanted to be done. So I positioned myself and my team as the people that would solve their problems. I said, look, I'm a flipper. I've toured the properties, not all the units, but I know what I'm looking at. So unless, unless one of the buildings is falling into a sinkhole that I couldn't have known about, we're, we're good. And this is the price that I can do. And we're not going to renegotiate with you because the previous offers had come in closer to list and then tried to renegotiate after their inspection. So the seller thinks the property sold. It's not fair to them. The buyer had no intention of paying that price. They came back and asked for something that was more reflective of market. The seller gets upset. Deal blows up. So, um, you know, I got the broker on my side and showed them why my team was the right group to take on this challenge and assured them that we were going to do what we said we we're going to do. And we did. And that's why we got the deal. It ended up appraising for $1.55 million higher than our purchase price in this market. That is absolutely ludicrous. You don't get, you don't get appraisals like that. Yeah, appraisers have gotten a lot of trouble during the last crash. So they usually come in right above purchase price, but there was so much value there. And I went out with the appraiser and I showed, I showed her the market rents. I showed her rents from 10 other buildings that were same, same within our submarket. And, you know, she didn't have any choice but to appraise it so much higher. So, you know, my partners and I walked into, you know, one and a half million dollars in equity. Um, they said that once we complete our renovation plan, it'll be worth two and a half million dollars more than our purchase and our reno. So, awesome. you know, again, I get, I get long winded, so I apologize. But what I'm saying is deals are just deals. Bigger deals are not necessarily harder deals. In some ways they can actually become easier due to the economies of scale. But in order to do something like that, you have to have a lot of prerequisite knowledge. If I hadn't flipped 40 houses, there's no way I would think that I could reposition, you know, a hundred apartments. And we're not going to be renovating 100 units. We'll probably renovate 40, you know, 50 maybe over two years. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the value is created through management efficiency. But, um, you know, if I'd never swung a hammer or done demo or hauled shingles up to a roof or managed contractors, there's no way. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, perhaps you're in the military, you're... Um, your first responder, you're, you're just a regular, regular Joe like us, right? Surround yourself with people who are strong in areas in which you are weak and work together. So my strength is putting together fantastic teams and finding value where others miss it. Because a lot of people looked at this deal and it was like, oh, it's too much. Well, guess what? That's not the price I paid. And, um, you know, we are able to find value. There's a lot of really lazy underwriting going on these days. I see a lot of the big gurus are talking about you. You've got to underwrite a hundred deals to get one, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm all about conservative underwriting, but you have to go through more as a detective and figure out what's wrong. Um, but back to the knowledge thing, you have to have enough knowledge about what 
should be to understand when something doesn't add up, to understand when you can dig deeper into an expense or into a management fee or, you know, for instance, uh, a deal that I'm closing on in about a month. So it's another 82 units. The water bill historically was $45,000, $50,000. Last year it was seventy. So I took it to the broker and I said, what, what changed? And they're like, we don't know. It's $20,000. Yeah, like, you difference. should know. And they sent the water company out and they're like, oh, the meter's broken. It's just been spinning, spinning, spinning. So they've corrected it. And already in a couple months since, we've seen the bill reset back to normal levels. So 20 grand at a 10 caps, because I'm simple, that's $200,000 that I just, air quotes, found. Yeah. That maybe other people that were analyzing this deal missed. And in reality, the, the deal's trading lower than that, so it's more. It's probably like quarter million. Um, so if you want to do bigger things, you have to be doing things like listening to Dave's podcast. You have to be reading the blogs. You have to be reading the books. You have to be getting dirty by going out and visiting deals and analyzing deals and going to the networking events and up-leveling your peer group and being around people that are doing deals. And once you do that, it's very likely that you can also do it. So. Yeah. And I think, I like that you said that in regards to the water bill, because something I tell people, whether it's, I mean, I tell, it's the same mantra I use in finance and I'm terrible about this. Um, in personal finance, my biggest downfall has been, as we joked about earlier, the, you know, I made extra money. So I'm going to the bar or I'm buying a Harley or I'm, you know, all the, you know, the tattoos and all the cool stuff that everybody in the military does. Um, and then realizing like, Oh wait, I went on a deployment and I had money. Where, I don't know. Um, Where'd it go? Yeah. Yeah. So as I've finally started to get somewhat more intelligent about all of this, I have been telling people and it's kind of, it's like my favorite thing to say when we talk the $15 minimum wage, everybody's freaking out about like your income's not your problem, it's your expenses. So when you tell me that you don't have enough money to live on and I see you with an iPhone XR and Jordan's, you probably do have enough money to live on, but you're not spending it wisely you can't you know you can't try to look rich and be rich at the same time really um i mean until you get to a certain level and so people get into multifamilies and flips and stuff like that and and buy and holds and they think about how do i raise the rent how do i raise the rent how do i bring in extra cash here and that's all well and good but my favorite thing to do when i'm analyzing a deal is say okay let me call the trash company how can i negotiate from these 10 single trash cans down to one dumpster and pay $80 less a month. How can I, you know, cut my water bill by if a toilet breaks, replacing it with an efficiency toilet? How do I, you know, all those little things, um, LED lighting, I mean, whatever. Uh, cause every dollar you cut in expense is a, like, you know, you can, and I, I think the way I try to spin it to people is, you know, $50 raised income is great. $50 lost expenses is better. And they're like, well, why? It's, you know, it's the same valuation. Yeah, but the $50 expenses still stays $50 saved when somebody vacates that unit. Um, and so, I, I don't know. People get so wrapped around the dollar signs coming in that they fail to realize that's not what kills the deal. That's not what makes the money. It's how do I save money going out? But, right. And if... Uh you know, forgive me if I'm out of bounds here plugging something else, but uh, if you want to dive deeper into that exact um, 
that exact subject, listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast with my friend Bryce Stewart. I can't remember what episode it is, but if you search Bryce Stewart on Bigger Pockets, you should be able to find it. And I don't know that he's coined, he coined the term, but I think he might have. Um, a concept he calls hidden ROI. So on his deals, he would rather go and figure out where to save money on his existing portfolio than add another unit. And I know the sexy, cool thing to do is units, units, units. I want to go buy a million, right? Where he's, uh, he's approaching it from another, another direction. Um, he's out of Pennsylvania. So I think one of his buildings had like the old oil heat or whatever. And I don't remember the numbers, but let's say uh, it cost, you know, a thousand dollars to convert from oil to baseboard, but he saves $50 a month on the utilities for doing so. Then what is that? $600 he made in year one. So he's paid for that expense in less than two years. And then it just, it's an infinite return from there. So he calls it hidden ROI. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilt, as guilty as, as anyone of this. I like to be the higher level kind of 10,000 foot guy. And, um, you know, I've been in the trenches. I don't, I don't really like it there as far as, um, you know, digging really deep into the operations. So, you know, I'll go back to the point that you need to insulate yourself with people who are really good at the things that you're not. And, you know, the core ones would be a great contractor. My, my contractor, he's a you know, West Point guy, former Army, Army Company commander, and just, you know, one of the finest humans ever, I've ever met. Um, you know, so we're a great team because he loves everything ops. He loves being in there. I call him. He's like, Phil, I'm under house. What's up? What can I do for you? I'm trying to get you out from under the house, but he just loves being under the house. And it's great because yeah. he's reliable. I can count on him. He's honest. So, I mean, that if you're doing kind of the heavier repositions, like I'm talking here, you've got to find a contractor that's a partner. Somebody that you're hiring is eventually going to leave you for greener pastures. You know, investors, we're not paying homeowner type rates, you know, find someone that you can build a long term relationship with. And then, Obviously, the money guy is is important piece. The property management is an important piece. If they're content to let your unit sit, to overcharge you on, you know, repair and maintenance calls, to not advertise for you, to show tenants your units and then actually take them to another unit because that that owner's yelling at them that the thing's been you know unrented for too long. You know, these are all things that can make or break your business. So if one of the things I just said, if you are one of those people, go find someone like Dave, go find someone like me and see how you can work together. If you're more on our side of the coin, just understand who you need to have to make your business work because without them, you're sunk. Yeah. Having a team is huge, especially, I mean, you know, I live 6,000 miles from all my properties right now. Uh, So I can't really, I don't have the luxury. And actually I've been talking about this with people because people, you know, the long distance thing is still raises red flags for people, but I love it because I am, I I house hacked a duplex as my first purchase. And I would find myself being like, Ooh, that's an ugly plant they put out on the patio or Ooh, 
man, why did they park their car there? Or, ooh, why are they doing that with my property? Oh, they should, they need to mow their grass. Like things that don't matter at all bug you because you own the property. You want it to look like this pristine thing and you live next door to them. Well, now I live 6,000 miles away. And the only thing I hear about that property at all is my property manager says, here's your rent and here's how much we paid in repairs. And I say, okay. Right. It. it was like an hour a month. Um, You're so, going from worrying about it, you know, several minutes of every day, every time you pull up in the driveway to work in a, you know, working in air quotes, a couple yeah. hours a month to review your mailbox money statement. Yeah. I like, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's where I want to be. Um, but at the same time, I want to do a little bit of good along the way. And if helping other people get into this business, that's, that's a method. And also just doing the right thing, um, you know, ethically as an owner manager, because there's a lot of people out there that aren't doing the right thing. I mean, it's sad. You know, we live in America where, you know, the top 1% of humans that have ever lived monetarily. So, so you really need to be making your money by stealing from someone else or, you know, cheating them out of what they're, what, what they bargained for. I don't, I don't think so. Agreed. Oh, and I meant to, uh, I pulled it up while we were talking, uh, the Bryce Stewart, the episode is 276 on bigger pockets. Sweet. Um, it's a good so one. I'll make sure to plug that down in the show. Sweet. Notes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. Figure out how to run your properties more efficiently before you go and you buy something new. And I need to take my own advice. <sighs> but <laughs> I think we all do. Um, all right. So let's, uh, I mean, I could talk about apartments and value add all day. Uh, it's fun. It's so much fun. Um, but we can probably circle back to that here in a little bit, but I guess my, my first question I'd like to ask you is if a uh, 18 to 20 year old walked up to you and asked you for advice, you know, the things that I guess this is the point where you say the things you wish you'd known or you wish you'd done, uh, but you only had a few minutes to talk to him. What would you tell him? Yeah, I would, um, I would give, the same advice that I, that I was given by uh, this ridiculous mountain of a man, Navy SEAL, right when I graduated uh, from SWIC school, we were all out, you know, partying as a graduating class. And uh, I said, you know, how do you, how, how do you succeed? What, what do I need to, what do I need to do? You know, bright eyed, bushy tailed new guy, right? FNG. Um, <laughs> it, he said, Whatever they ask you to do, whatever your job is, learn the shit out of it. Know everything about that stupid radio, every function, every, you know, every sequence. If you're the nav guy, you know, know your charts backwards or maps, I guess you land, land lovers would say, um, <laughs> backwards and forwards, you know, know, know all of your, um, all your, your secondary and tertiary routes, like in the back of your head, know your weapon system, whatever your job is, like know it better than ever, than anyone. The military, it's tough to, it's tough to stand out. Um, and by that, I mean, you, you can do what I'm describing here and you're still getting the same paycheck. You're probably not making E4 any faster. There's timelines you got to wait for. You're still getting your, um, your evals and you know what your NCO does or doesn't do for you on those you can't really control um, but by building that muscle memory when you do get out and you're in more of a, a meritocracy in entrepreneurship or um, you know a slightly less meritocracy within a, a corporate job you know regular job you're going to excel so much faster 
than folks without that mentality, without that mindset. So I'm not going to tell you to, to go and to not spend your enlistment bonus on your car, though maybe you shouldn't. Um, I'm not going to tell you to you do anything tactically. I'm telling you mindset-wise to learn how to learn, to learn how to serve and how to bring value to others on your team and be the best teammate you can be. Uh, because by doing so, you're going to succeed in whatever you ultimately decide to do, military or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, people get wrapped around the word education and they think college, but the reality is, you know, and college is great. Don't get me wrong. I don't know. I, I hate it. But, um, but the reality is that that's not what's made a lot of people successful. It's the ability to learn on their own. And so like, I'll, I don't know, there's all kinds of strategies to this, but you know, like you're not supposed to watch TV in bed. And I like to watch TV in bed. So what I do is I will watch like YouTube videos on things that I want to learn in bed. So I'm like, okay, I have now justified this somewhat because I'm like, okay, I didn't learn how to, I don't know, how to analyze a such and such. Let me type it into YouTube and pull it up on the TV and I'll watch videos on that, which is kind of a terrible crap, crappy compromise because I'm still watching TV. But you know, um, it, it's somewhat enjoyable to me. My poor wife has to watch you know, Grant Cardone as she's trying to go to sleep, but, or whatever. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, whatever works for you, but people don't, it is so easy in this era to learn. And it's funny, like just the other day, I've got all these Marines in my office and one of them asked me, um, or they were going to go play basketball at a gym and they, they ended up not going. And I'm like, well, what, why didn't you go? Oh, well, we didn't know which gym it was. And they had texted me that night and asked, is it this gym? And I just didn't even see it. Cause you know, I'm, up at four. So I'm in bed before they go to bed. Um, so I never saw it. And, uh, and my thought was, okay, so that stopped you. And you know, and it's like, watch this. And I like pulled my phone out, touched a button. And I was like, Hey Google, where is X gym? And it, boop, and I'm like, dude, like you're not going to make it anywhere in life. If you can't figure out how to answer your own questions, it's easy now. Oh, holy smoke. Oh my God. <laughs> Google's talking to me now. You, you just gave me the most beautiful segue into something that we were discussing before we started rolling is the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. Right. So I was just at a conference with him called best year ever blueprint nice. out in San Diego on my way to Honolulu, but we weren't friends yet. I know, <laughs> so right? I didn't see you, but anyway, one of the, the absolute bombs that he dropped in the conference was in the past you were compensated, and I'm paraphrasing here, you were compensated based on your ability to find an answer to a question, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. In the future, you are going to be compensated on your ability to ask the right question because in all of our hands lies every answer known to man at a push of a button and the request of, hey, Siri. Getting the answer isn't the problem. Asking the right questions is the problem. Exactly. So if you can figure out how to ask the right questions and to solve the right problems, it doesn't matter what arena you're in, you're going to be successful. Yeah, that's cool. How was that conference? Oh, it was unbelievable. Definitely going back next year. So uh, I don't think I'm allowed to say that I'm, I don't know, my order should hit Monday. Uh, in theory, as I was told, I'm going, to, I'm going to Pendleton in June. And so my first thought yeah. was like, oh, Vid Summit's there. Now this mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to milk the fact that between San Diego and LA is like oh, man. 
any convention I could ever want to go to from Comic Con to whatever, you know, but I'm like, ooh, hey, there's a YouTube convention. Hey, there's a, this convention. I was like, oh man, I'm saving some flights. We're going to be taking leave. Um, Boom. So yeah, I might, I may have to see you out there next year. I wrote that down. So I'm going to just like eat up any conference I can go to in that area while I'm there and just live it up. So back, back to the advice to the, you know, the E1, E2, yeah, E3, whatever. Um, I wasn't ready to receive it at that age. And a lot of people aren't going to be ready to receive it, but you have to be really careful with who you're surrounding yourself with and what kind of content you're absorbing. Um, you know, when you're young like that, you can do just about anything. Um, but if you're even slightly deliberate about the people that are in your true inner circle, a uh, mentor of mine, his big saying is your network is your net worth. Yep. Right. So if you're hanging around a bunch of broke jokers that are spending all their money at the bar and living extremely paycheck to paycheck and their credit cards are maxed out, you're going to be doing the same because you're keeping up with the Joneses. If you're hanging out with guys that are more forward thinking, that have a plan, that are reading, that are attending conferences, that are in mastermind groups, that are engaging on forums, that are listening to podcasts, those are the folks that you want to surround yourself with. The younger you can do that, the better. But I get it. I mean, I you heard my story on the intro. Like, I was like pants on fire, you know, running around doing all sorts of ridiculousness that, you know, I don't regret any of it. Yeah, it was but, fun. Um, it was yeah, costumes. it was a it ton was of fun. fun. And, and when the teacher, or when, the, when I was ready, the mentors, the teachers, they arrived in my life. So, you know, I'm not saying to miss out, you know, YOLO, whatever. Um, just be cognizant of the fact of who you're surrounding yourself with and what kind of content you're voluntarily absorbing because the quicker you can up level those things, if that's where you want to go, it will up level you as well. So just, just be aware of it. Yeah. I agree with the whole network thing. Um, I, I started, there wasn't a, there's, there's a lot of good real estate, like meetups and networking events in Oahu, but the majority of them are in Honolulu, which is fine, except that that's like, a, depending on traffic, that can be a 40-minute to an hour drive, and they're at like six on a Tuesday, and I'm like, I don't get mm -hmm. off work early enough to justify driving straight there. So I started one in Kailua because uh, Brandon Turner basically was like, You're, you should do this, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I should do that. Um, and then all of a sudden, I've got like 20, 25 people that come most of the time, except nobody came last week because I did it on the first and was like, serious investors will show up. And then nah. it was just me with like two ladies sitting there eating my like three pizzas. Um, but it was fun. You know, I mean, they were, they were great to talk to. So it worked out. But uh, normally, it's a pretty good showing. And I tell people that all the time. It's like, look, if you don't have a group of people or a network or a meetup or a RIA or a whatever to go to, like post something in the bigger pockets event form. You don't need to be a paid member to post in the events form, post it on there, post it on Facebook and say, I'm going to be here. Come on out. And then ping a couple buddies in the area or a couple investors in the area. They'll show up. You'll meet new people every week. And all of a sudden, like you might be Nick, the new guy, but because you're the host, even though you're Nick, the new guy, people will talk to you. And, yep. and all of a sudden you're meeting people, you're networking, you're being intentional about it and you're having fun. I mean, I pay like 40 bucks a month and, bring two pizzas. Other people bring beer. It's Oahu. So we're able to do this. We meet on the beach. 
under a pavilion and we, you know, some people drink beer, some people eat pizza. We talk real estate till the, you know, it gets dark enough that people are like, okay, um, I should probably leave. But uh, it was a good time. And so, yeah, surrounding yourself with people, it just opens so many doors. It's huge. Love it. That's, that's great. You did that. I, uh, I, um, hopefully at some point can apologize to Brandon personally, but I I'm committed like the cardinal sin, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to Oahu. So I like, you know, get on bigger pockets and like send him like this message, like, Hey man, I'm going to be in Hawaii. Like we should meet. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Hawaii is not actually that, that small it looks small on the map, but it's like, it's not, it's like, you know, I think it's hilarious that people on the West coast don't understand East coast geography. People are like, Oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Baltimore. Oh, I've got a friend in Boston. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Cool story, bro. <laughs> and I did the same thing to him. And so naturally didn't hear back. Um, so. Yeah, well, he's actually not even on Oahu. He's on. Oahu. I know so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, I realized after I'd said it and he yeah. likes something on the show about oh, like, man. sorry, it's my, I don't know why I have that alarm on my phone that it probably I slept in probably in months. The time to tell Phil to shut up because <laughs> it's a freaking tangent every time I ask him a question. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I was actually set yesterday just in case. Really? No. Um, no. Uh, I need to just turn it off. But anyway, um, I'm afraid that like the one time I turn it off is the one time I won't wake up at four and then I'll sleep through the six and I'll wake up at seven. And it'll be a really terrible story. But mm. uh, right, anyway, um, let's see here. So I think... I get, I like to ask like what makes the Phil Capron method of investing in real estate unique or successful? I think that's a fun one. Unique or successful. Um, and successful and, or, and, you know. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I it guess. can be both. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, prefer, prefer, I mean, if you want to go unique and it's just like a terrible, <laughs> you know I mean? Hey, it might be a good story, but. So everything changed for me when I joined um, this mastermind group called M1. Before that, I, I'd read, and I heard your story. I know you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad way before you did anything. Same here. And I read Flip and Hold by Keller Inc. And I read MREI and MREA, like all the Keller books on yep. agency and investing. Yet all I had was you know, my primary residence that I bought in 2010. And then in 2013, I, um, I bought a buddy's place subject to who was getting out of the Navy and actually crossed over the army and became a green beret. So, you know, I did that. So then there was two, but I'd read the books. I understood the concepts, but I hadn't really done anything. I'm like, Oh yeah, as soon as I hit X, we'll, we'll do it. Then I started flipping and, you know, I would love to say I learned my lessons in the military and I used all that money to reinvest. No, just went on more trips, went to Vegas went surfing and skydiving a lot, you know? Um, so I still hadn't really learned. Then in 2017, I joined this mastermind group M1, which uh, stands for March to a million. And the goal is to be a whole life millionaire. So that's, net worth because that's easy to quantify, but members are also striving to have authentic relationships with, you know, their family, friends, significant others, um, genuine contribution. Almost everyone's involved in some kind of charity. Um, 
age-defying health. It's no good to have all these things if you're going to keel over at 45 from a heart attack. Um, horizontal income, so that's you know our rental property stuff or stocks or bonds or paper, whatever you're investing in, that's paying you while you're asleep. And I feel like I'm forgetting one, but that's okay. Um, oh, yeah. How did I forget this one? Bucket list adventures. Oh, yeah. So, you know, like I have the the um, bucket list item to go skydiving on every continent. So at some point, I'll make that a reality. Um, you know, and we support one another in our endeavors. So by being surrounded by these couple hundred people that are living at a higher level at in the various gardens than I am, because everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses, um, it challenged me to really become serious about what I've been saying that I wanted for a decade or for my whole life. Like I said, I was going to be a millionaire by 30, right? And I tried a bunch of entrepreneurial stuff and started companies and, you know, with varying levels of success and the poker thing, um, made some money there too much for a 22 year old. But anyway, um, I, w I wasn't there, but now with this new peer group, I saw people in the roadmaps that they'd laid out in the various, the various gardens as we call them. So when the opportunity presented itself, I took a friend to the 14 unit that I ended up buying and, um, you know, they, uh, they, uh, ended up not doing the deal because they couldn't get the price that they, what, that they wanted on it. Right. And so the, the seller wanted like nine twenty or something. And my, my guy wanted to pay like eight fifty, so they couldn't make a deal. So I was telling the story within one of my little groups that talks every week within this organization. And they're like, well, why don't, why don't you go buy it? The guy's willing to do seller financing. So I called the agent back and I said, Hey, what do you sell to me? He said, yeah, bring a hundred thousand dollars. He'll sell it to you. I go, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars, but let me see how can I figure this out? Because previously I would have just said, I don't have a hundred grand game over. Yep. Instead I went and I found the majority of that hundred grand and ended up buying a $900,000 piece of property for $5,074 and one cent of my own money and negotiated the first six months, no interest on the seller financing. So I brought in $45,000 in cash flow the first seven months and I'm into it for five grand. I never would have done those things if I wasn't surrounded by people that are more how oriented. The important question is how can I do this straight out of rich dad, poor dad, yep. not, not can I afford this? How can I afford this? So from there, you know, went to the 109 and then to another 82. So in like a little over a year's time, gone from two units to over 200. And if my math is correct, um, we're leaving a lot of the cash flow in both those deals until we refi. But my passive cash flow will cross $100,000 in 2019 because of the work that I've done in one year. That's awesome. So if I can do that a couple more years, you know, on that scale, you know what? I don't, we talked about this earlier. I don't need the helicopter and the Lamborghini. I just want to be able to be where I want to be with who I want to be with doing what I want to do and ideally giving back a little bit and helping others to get whatever that is for them. So, um, so that 
that to me was the key to my method of investing and in learning that it's not a one man band. It's about the team, kind of like the military. You know, we don't all do the same job. You have to work together and it's much better to be a small part of a, something really big and special, you know, cause the deals that I, I referenced, I only own like 20, not only, but 20, 25% of those deals. So 25% of 200 is like 50 units plus the 15 I own on my own. But I tell you what, it was a lot easier to go that route than it would be to get 65 on my own. That's one of those. In fact, I just posted it on my Instagram. One of those Brandon Turner quotes that I always hear is, uh, you know, he says, uh, you know, a fraction of a good deal is better than zero or a fraction of a, a deal yeah. is better than 0% of no deal. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a million different ways to, to slice that. Another friend says it's better to have a, a fr- you know, slice a watermelon than a whole grape. It's a good <laughs> I, one. You know, I, I um, like that. I like that one. I'm going to write that one down. All right. So uh, what is one, I mean, we've talked about a bunch, but what is it, one resource or book or whatever that you'd recommend anybody who's getting into real estate? I love the millionaire real estate investor by Gary Keller. That's the, it's, you know, it's very simply written, but you know, the way that it, it kind of lays out your options. It gives a novice a few tools that they can get to work on and kind of like a few different samplings to see what resonates for you. We know that a lot of people get in with, with low money, you know, low capital invest right into wholesaling and flipping. That's fine. It's, it really is. You can make a lot of money that way. Um, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna get you to retirement. It's what you, what you do with that money. Um, that's going to get you there. So, I guess I'm trying to think of something that's like a better, better hold book. I mean, Keller Inc's got hold, which is another good one. I I like the whole series really. Um, So yeah, start, start there. Start, start with those couple of books, the, the Keller Inc millionaire real estate investor hold flip, if that's for you. And then this, this book's beaten to death almost to the extent of um, rich dad, poor dad, but the one thing figure out what position you play on your team and be the best at that position. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'm going to have to check out hold. I've actually never read that one. It's good. I mean, they're, they're all really good. I know that you're, you're a KW agent. I think it's the best company in the world. Um, you know, so like I, I dropped my real estate license to just be the, just be the buyer. But I mean, Keller Williams is awesome, you know, educationally resource wise network wise. Yeah. I, uh, fan so far. Um, although I'm the new guy, but you know, mm-hmm. and I joined, I went with Keller Williams because I've, I mean, really a big part of it. There's a lot of reasons, but big part was because of all his books. I was like, I like his books. Why wouldn't I like his company? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. I mean, Oh, sorry. If it's no, no, no. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. So I like those ones. If you like something else, just pick up something and start going. Cause if you're not, if you're not going anywhere, you know, the, the first, the first step is going to lead you toward a new direction. And if it's not where you want to go, you start reading about flipping and you decide that sucks. 
that sounds too hard. That's, you know, way too hands-on for me. Then you get to course correct and go towards more of a, you know, a buy and hold traditional model, a turnkey model, a passively investing in, in large multifamily model, but you'll know. But if you're just sitting there, I don't know what I want to do. And you're not going to do anything. I agree. That's awesome. Uh, so before we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any parting advice or big ideas? Ah, oh, man, parting advice. I guess just double tap the be, be really conscious who you're surrounding yourself with. Um, to me, that's what made the difference. I'd known all along that this is kind of what I was supposed to be in life. And, you know, truth be told, my time in the military was really hard. Do you know, you know, what it's like to be the guy in the unit that's the good idea fairy? you're the nail and everyone else is the freaking hammer. Yeah. You know, I was not well liked at my command, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying, but you know, I was not, I was not a good, not a good swick. And, um, you know, I gave it everything I had, but that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing in life. I loved my brothers, you know, I loved the, the other guys in NSW and I was honored to, to work with them and with, you know, with others. And so now I see my mission as, being able to give back as an educator to as many of those folks as I can, um, you know, because that's what I'm supposed to do. My dog is making a cameo here. He wanted to come like say it. what's up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that's it. If you, if you do one thing, it's, it's take action, whether it's, uh, whether it's podcasts on your way, to and from work that's a really easy you know low investment way to start down your path it's picking up a book it's reading blog posts it's networking and finding out where you fit in on the team do something set a quantifiable goal find some people to hold you accountable and you're a lot more likely to make it happen i like it i agree yeah absolutely um, and you're right about the good idea for it. That's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was me too. Um, I, yeah. As I become more efficient, I'm starting to be that guy and I can mm-hmm. tell that it's, everybody loves it. I'm like, why are we doing it this way? Why don't they we- don't like, they don't like it when you're a low rank. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the skip, the skipper in my like exit interview is like, he's like, why don't people like you? I was like, I don't know, sir. He's like, I think, I think I do. I was like, what's that? It's like, I think you're too smart for your own good. I'm like, thanks. I think. I don't know, (laughs) you know, um, and that's, again, the difference between military and getting out and doing stuff where it is a team, but now you get to choose where you are on the team. It's not predetermined. So exactly. I like that. And that's, yeah, that's kind of my, one of my many hinge points on decision in the future. Uh, All right. So Phil, where can people get a hold of you? Is there a... Yeah, so I've got like a little a little landing page. I'm working on you know making it um, a little bit more you know value when you land there. But philcapron.com, p-h-i-l-c-a-p-r-o-n.com, or um, truth be told, the best way to get a hold of me is is Facebook, p-h-i-l-c-a-p-r-o-n. Um, bigger pockets. I'm not on quite as much as I'd like to be. 
um, you know, made it a point to, to start, you know, chiming into posts that I know something about because it's, you know, it's an unbelievable resource. Um, you'll see me around in various conferences, um, you know, like, uh, I think Jim Rohn said your, your level of, um, was it your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development or self-development. So you'll see me out at things, Tony Robbins events, um, you know, my mastermind group M1, Hal Elrod's things, um, real estate things, multifamily, Rod Cleef, Michael Blanc. Um, yeah, I just, I like to be out and about and expose myself to new things. But, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk directly, I'm a, you know, I'm an open book. I'm, I'm happy to help anyone that's trying to, trying to get started down the road. So hit me up on Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've listened this far through my ramblings, you're, you're, you're great. And you're already well on your way. <laughs> oh, I know we could talk all day, but we, I mean, we really could, like I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. So I, I know we've, say. I know we've ran long. So thanks, man. I'll say, unfortunately, I think I'm going to probably cut this or, or my computer is not going to be able to handle the download <laughs> size, but uh, uh, cool. no, no, no. It's been good. Phil, I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you for joining. Yeah. Thanks, today. Dave. Appreciate it, brother. We'll talk soon. Absolutely.